Hi there, Andrew Dunkley here, uh, host of Space Nuts, where we talk astronomy and space science every week. Uh, this is episode 374. Coming up, we're going to uh, be looking at Bennu. Bennu. No, not Benno, you cricketing tragics. It's Bennu, uh, the asteroid. Uh, they brought back dirt and they've examined it and they've determined that it is indeed dirt. Mm -hmm. No, we'll, we'll find out all about what they've discovered from the samples. It's very exciting. And uh, some more on the search for Planet Nine. We will investigate that as well. Uh, Mikey wants to know about magnetism. Ralph wants to know about nothing nothingness and martin has sent us a silly question which martin never does but we'll answer it anyway that's all coming up on this episode of space nuts 15 seconds guidance is internal 10 9 ignition sequence start space nuts 5 4 3 2 1 2 3 4 5 5 4 3 2 1 space nuts astronauts report it feels good and joining us to talk about all of that and to explain why on earth we need macrame is Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. Well, macrame's always been something of interest to me, so I'm sure we all feel the same about it and definitely need macrame. I do not. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's not the end of the show then. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. Could be after that joke. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're looking very dapper, Fred. Thank you. Um, it's um, purely because uh, there's been a couple of TV segments this morning and I tend to try and look half human when I'm on TV. Well, it's, it's nice to see you've broken down the barrier of um, getting on TV because, you know, face for radio comes to mind. But I, you know, I didn't yeah, say Well, that. that's right. Absolutely. No, I've known that all along. Uh, I, I certainly I, got one. <laughs> yeah, me too. And uh, there are certain radio, um, so, sorry, certain TV stations who will never have me on. Um, mm. Too ugly. Uh, and, uh, Isn't that the ones, terrible? The ones that will have me on don't seem to care. So it's that's so pretentious in television. <laughs> yeah, I, I sat. I sat in on a, a TV show once when we were in New York. The show shall remain nameless, uh, but. It was one of the late night talk shows and we got ourselves into the audience. You actually had to rehearse to get on as an audience member. Wow. I know. Ooh. And you had to be interviewed and they had to, you, you had, I, I knew what they were doing. So I said to Judy, just leave it to me. And I acted like a real pork chop. She said, why did you do that? I said, because we'll get in. And we did. <laughs> uh, but I, I found the whole thing so egomaniacal. It just, yeah. I, I was... Yeah. I was gobsmacked at how great they thought they were. Mm. That's television to a T. And that was off camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. No, it's um, it, it's it's a different. It is a different arena from the sort of stuff that you and I know and love. Um, yep. And uh, you know, I, once in a while I get asked on, but I know it's um, it's with reluctance by the people who haven't been able to find anybody else to talk about. What <laughs> I'm it sure is. that's not true, Fred. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. Anyway. All right, uh, let's get into it because we've got a lot to talk about. And this first story uh, has uh, broken recently and um, it, it sort of changed our, our focus for this episode because the uh, samples that have been returned to Earth in the last few weeks uh, from an asteroid uh, have now been, uh, well, not totally analysed. They're still analysing yeah. them in their secret room in NASA. It's a clean room, as I understand it. It's a uh, clean it's, room. Yeah, it's the Bennu sample, and they've found some uh, intriguing things already. 
Yeah, it, indeed. Um, it, uh, the great thing about this story, Andrew, is that this is absolutely just the, the tip of the beginning mm. um, because um, it's not even the proper sample that they've opened up. They haven't opened the sample yet. Oh. So what? This is just the dust on the outside. It's just the stuff, you know, the, the dirt on the outside. That's wow. right. Wow. So, yes, you're quite right. Are you sure the, someone didn't drop it in the desert? <laughs> <laughs> they can tell it's a different color the desert does <laughs> mm. so as you said um the the capsule containing this sample landed on earth i think it was the 24th of september it was around about that time anyway uh and um after a, a mission lasting six years in fact is that yeah. right? it was seven years it was launched in 2016 Big. um went to Bennu, hung around there for quite a while chose a nice place to drop the sample co collector on and picked up the sample and then came back to Earth. So there's a device on Osiris-Rex, the spacecraft that did all this, which rejoices in the name of the Tagsam. The what? Uh, a Tagsam. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know what a Tagsam is? It's an acronym for the Touch and Go Sample Acquisition Mechanism. Of course. Why didn't I, why didn't I know that? So that ex kind of explains the way it worked. The uh, the spacecraft kind of dunked itself into the soil and grabbed a sample, uh, touch mm -hmm. and go, and then went uh, and surprised itself actually by how far it sunk in because the uh, the regolith, the the soil of of asteroid Bennu, is very loose. It's a basically a rubble pile asteroid, mm -hmm. which uh, things you I uh, I heard it got too much and they couldn't get the lid on. Yeah, that's right. They struggled to get the lid back on, and and so this stuff that has now been analysed. Is just the debris that was left on the tag sand after after they managed to get the lid closed. Um, so they haven't really opened the main sample yet. So they still don't know how much they've collected, but they think it's a quarter of a kilogram, two hundred wow. grams. Uh, which, since the mission target was to bring back sixty grams, is pretty good. Uh, they think they're onto a bit of a winner with the amount of material that they've they've um, that, that, that they brought back. Um, so that sample. Uh, of dirt around the lid uh, has already revealed some really interesting aspects. Uh, for example, lots of carbon-containing compounds, which haven't yet been properly identified. All we know is that there's a lot of carbon there. Um, and that's in some ways not surprising because uh, Bennu is a carbonaceous asteroid, a carbon-rich asteroid. But um, to find a lot of carbon in a small sample is very intriguing. So we expect that when the analysis continues, we might find some of these interesting precursors of life and that sort of thing that might be among the soil samples. Also, uh, water-bearing clays have been found. Yeah, so, I read that and I thought, wow, um, yeah, the word clay kind of threw me. Yeah, because you usually think of clay as starting off as mud, uh, and in, I think I think the term is just used for minerals that bear water uh, in their crystalline structure, and that's what's been found. Uh, and I think what's going to be really interesting when we do get to the nitty gritty of these samples is to look at that that water and you know go to that hoary old question of the isotope ratio in the water, whether you're talking about. Uh, what sort of mixture of heavy water and normal water you're talking mm. about? 
Is it the same as what we've got? Is it the same as what we've got? Exactly. So that's going to be something very intriguing, I think, when we start hearing the results from the from the main sample. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, look, it's all excitement. The uh, the um, the testing is going on at the Johnson Space Flight Center, which is where the the capsule is now. Um, I think you and I might have mentioned before, maybe we didn't, but the uh, Osiris Rex itself is not done yet. Uh, it's heading off in the direction of another asteroid, which is a famous one called Apophis. And it's oh, famous because we will have a very- great name too. Yeah, great name. We'll have a close approach in 2029. Uh, at one time it was thought that there might be an impact in 2029, but um, that we now know won't happen. But I think uh, the one that is one to watch out for is a close, if I remember rightly, a close approach in 2182, by which time you and I will be hundreds of years old. Yes, yes. <laughs> but we'll still have space nuts. Yeah, I'm sure we will. <laughs> we haven't been, been able to get rid of it yet. So we I'm might sure even get the audience up to three by then. Yeah. <laughs> None of whom are related to us. Yeah, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Anyway. Um, yep. so okay, so yeah. it, it's... Um, is this the only sample Osiris Rex is going to be able to send back? Given the, the, yep. the you know, it's got an ongoing mission, but yeah, uh, so this, the Apophis, was, this was the only planned return mission, wasn't it? That's correct. So the Apophis mission is is a it, it may be an orbital thing, but I might it might just be a flyby as well. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure of the details of that, uh, which is it might be going too fast. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. it's going too fast. You're not going to get it into orbit. No. Uh, with these sample returns, and we've seen a couple this year now or in recent years, um, are, are they are they going to collaborate and do some comparisons to see what the differences might be? Definitely. So or if got, they are exactly the same, they could be exactly the same. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ryugu is the other. That's the one. Asteroid. Which uh, came, which the Japanese space agency returned samples of, uh, was it the end of last year? I can't remember. Uh, mm. Sometime round about then, uh, which again are being analysed. Uh, yeah, it'd be worth checking if you wouldn't mind. Uh, so that re how did you know I was doing that? Because your, your face lit up as you clicked on your screen. <laughs> right. Bits of it have gone blue, actually, Andrew. That means you must be looking at something blue. <laughs> In fact, well, I'm still trying to get used to the atmosphere of this new house, office yeah. of mine. Yeah. New office. Yeah. It was Hayabusa 2, wasn't it? Yes, that's correct. That's yeah. right. Um, arrived at Ryugu on the 27th of June, 2018. But uh, I and returned. You landed, better keep talking and I'll keep looking. Landed in Woomera, didn't it? And um, is that right? Am I mixing my things up? 5th altogether? of December, 2020. Oh, 2020. Okay. All right. Yeah. Time flies. The years, the years pass so quickly these days. Mm -hmm. Yes. Anyway, that's, that's, I, I kind of had December in my mind. So, uh, there are results from that. But I think Ryugu and, uh, and Bennu, while they do share the fact that they're both rubble pile asteroids and have got this curious shape of like two cones stuck together by their yep. bases, a bit like the old, um, Humming tops that kids used to have when oh, I yes. was a youngster. Um, so, yeah, the, it, as you say, what will be really interesting will be comparing and contrasting the analyses of what's in these what's in these asteroids. 
Mm. And of course, last week we talked about the Psyche mission. Yeah. Um, I did not. I don't remember if I asked you if it was a that was a sample return mission or just an uh, orbital scan. It, it's orbital. Yeah. As, as so I will, there will be no lander that it's just an orbital mission. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that. But um, does, will they still be able to glean information to compare with the other asteroid visits? Yes. Um, I mean, it's because it's a metallic one. Yeah, indeed, it's made of metal, probably mm. iron, mostly solder, probably. <laughs> Well, that would have to have tin in it. And, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Could be solder. Yeah, blob of solder. That would, that, that would certainly set the cat among the pigeons. It would, wouldn't it? <laughs> a leftover dob from an exploding spaceship. Yes, that's right. Especially if it had some of that resin that you used to have to use with solder yes, stuff yes. to make it run. Anyway, um, we're now engaging in the... <laughs> Off in track as usual. A fantasy from 50 years ago when we both used to wield soldering irons, I'm sure. Mm. But the, um, yeah, so, so comparing the two will be good. And uh, the Psyche mission will also add its own comparisons to that because they'll use remote sensing of the surface to really analyze what's going on down there. Much the same way as we see, um, you know, remote sensing on Mars with um, both orbital spacecraft and, and good old perseverance and curiosity there with the. Uh, I suppose in time we'll have made uh, probably so many visits to asteroids, we will be able to paint a very solid picture of, of what's going on and, and what it means to us as a, as, a, as a planet with life on it. What was that the seed that created mm -hmm. us? That sort of thing. That's right. Uh, we'll get solid results even from the rubble piles. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. It's it, it's right. We'll we'll have um, uh, a much more cogent catalogue of the of the behaviour of asteroids and the structure of asteroids and all of that sort of thing. So I think, uh, yeah, I think we we're living in a in an era of uh, sort, of, sort of golden age of asteroid studies. Mm. When I, you know, I did my master's degree, uh, the research for that was on asteroid orbits, and um, I think I was probably the only. Uh, research student in the entire country who was working on asteroids. Everybody else was doing far more glamorous things because they were so boring. Asteroids they were just all, you know they were just things that we didn't know anything about. They floated around and that was the end of it pretty well. Um, now it's a thriving industry mainly yeah. because we know that uh, uh, you know the discoveries made since the days I was working on this stuff. Uh, one of them is that we've been clobbered by asteroids in the past, and that's a very important thing. Yes, we need to learn all about them. We need to keep an eye on them. And uh, we may well learn how we got here because of them, perhaps. Yeah. Yep. All these things are intriguing. So you were on the right track from the start, Fred. <laughs> I was. I was ahead of my time. Yes. But I didn't realise it, as usual. Absolutely. <laughs> mm. All right. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, we will learn more as they start digging into the samples from Benno or Bennu. I did it. I said Benno. Richie, it's not Richie yeah. Benno. It's just Benu. People are, in America are going, "What? Who is this Richie Benno fellow?" Um, look it up. He's one of the greatest Australians that ever lived, in my humble opinion. Uh, this is Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Professor Fred Watson. Okay, we checked all four systems. Stand Space Nuts. Now, Fred, we move on to another great mystery of the universe. In fact, it's not even that. It's a great mystery of our solar system and that of 
Planet Nine. Now we've we've had a few discussions about it lately because uh, there are attempts to find it. There's something out there. The mathematics says so. Uh, whether or not it's a planet or some other force of nature. Uh, but something else has uh, popped up in the news, uh, which has thickened the plot a little bit. It's, yes, it has. That's right. The plot thickens. And it's all about plotting orbits. That's uh, where it, it comes from. So what? What? let's just recap. Uh, the backstory is that there are alignments of the orbits of what are called extreme TNOs, extreme trans-Neptunian objects, uh, out in the distant solar system. They, their orbits, seem, which are very uh, elongated, uh, seem to line up. And um, back in, I think it was 2016, uh, a couple of scientists in California, I think, uh, postulated that this was because there is a distant massive planet out there in the depths of the solar system that's actually having a gravitational pull Mm. on these uh, asteroids. Uh, and so that that object was um, called Planet Nine, that hypothetical object. Uh, it upset some people who still believe that there already is a Planet Nine called Pluto, uh, but um, that argument's probably died down a bit now. And so the search has been on. Um, we can, can kind of get a rough idea of where it might be uh, by the alignment of the objects and uh, the trouble is it turns out to be in the middle of the Milky Way. So it's very difficult to find something faint and moving very slowly. Uh, but there are still observational programs which are doing that. Um, now, there's been a couple of uh, times when people have poured cold water on this idea. And you and I have certainly spoken about one of them, which was the notion that those alignments are not real, um, that it's all caused by the fact that we can only see the brightest and biggest of these asteroids. If you could see them all, the that clustering of the uh, asteroid orbit alignment would disappear. Uh, mm. There was a really uh, very well-argued paper on that. I think it was probably last year, which, uh, which you and I talked about. But now something else has come up that suggests that the effect might disappear. Uh, and it comes from two scientists... Uh, yeah, both both theoretical physicists, uh, one at Case Western Reserve University and the other at Hamilton College in the United States. And what they've done is they've looked at how our Milky Way galaxy would behave in terms of its gravity if the Mond theory was correct. Now, Mond, you will remember, is modified Newtonian dynamics. And it's a theory that says that at very, very low accelerations, uh, Newton's, Newton's formulae don't work. Uh, when you've got very low accelerations, it, it's not, you know, the, the, you don't see the same thing as you do uh, w with forces accelerating objects in, in our day-to-day -day world. Is, uh, is this a Monden theory, Fred? <laughs> it's, it's not actually that Monden because it was published <laughs> in 1984 three or thereabouts, yeah. if I remember rightly, by a man called Mordechai Milgram, uh, who I think was at Tel Aviv, uh, and that and it became known as Mond. And it, it is, it's one of the, uh, if I can put it this way, one of the main um, competitors to dark matter theory. Mm. Because the whole, uh, the reason why Mond was developed by Mordechai Milgram was because 
nobody could find dark matter particles, uh, even though you know the, the the best our best understanding of the way galaxies behave and gravitational lensing goes and all of these things is that there is something out there which has mass but nothing else. Uh, it's a, it acts gravitationally but doesn't interact in any other way with normal subatomic particles. So we can't see it. We can't see its shadow. We can't see anything about it um, except that we know that it's it's um, it has gravity and is affecting the way galaxies work. So that's the conventional view of dark matter. But the Milgram theory says, well, you know, this is daft. There's something that we believe is there and we can't see it. So maybe something else is wrong. And sure enough, if you tweak Newton's laws uh, in the right direction, you can actually get rid of the need for dark matter under some circumstances. It doesn't work for everything. That's the interesting bit. Anyway, it yeah. does work for some circumstances. And we have a uh, a listener and a good fan of the program, I hope he still is, Peter Verweyen, who's doing his PhD on MOND with the University of Sydney. Uh, so occasionally I talk to him and get uh, and see, see what the latest results are. Uh, anyway, to cut back to Planet Nine, um, what these two physicists have done is said, okay, supposing um, the supposing MOND is real, the that the modified Newtonian dynamics is the way things are, uh, then what happens to the gravity of our own galaxy uh, in the way that it interacts with objects way out in the depths of the solar system? Would it cause an alignment is the question. Mm. Uh, and what happens is it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so they've they've found that um, these you know these uh, alignments. If you assume that the uh, the, the, the these um, ex, you know these trans-Neptunian objects are interacting not just with the sun's gravitational field, but with the gravitational field of the galaxy as a whole, which is so weak compared with the sun that it actually uh, has this modified Newtonian dynamics. It's, 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 it means normal physics don't work. Um, what they're saying is that there would be a sort of dragging of the orbits of these outer solar system objects to align with our galaxy's gravitational field. Mm. Um, and apparently what you get is exactly the alignment uh, that we see if you do the theory of this. Um, it's really a very interesting result and really quite um, uh, stimulating is probably the wrong word, just um, intriguing perhaps is the, is the best word. So um, forgive my lack of concentration, but uh, does this mean that they <laughs> you really were asleep? <laughs> well, I just prompted a question that was formulating, but um, does yep. this mean that they're backing the existence of Planet Nine or backing the existence of something that might be not Planet Nine? Yeah, they're, they're backing the existence of of not Planet Nine and not dark matter. So uh, something what else? Saying, yeah, MOND, the, the modified Newtonian dynamics. They're saying with... Oh, if, that's, that's, if, oh okay. Yeah, if modified Newtonian dynamics is right, then uh, this alignment happens. Uh, that's what they're saying. Uh, okay. So you can forget about Planet Nine because you don't need it. Um, and also, it's just a, another little hint that maybe we're wrong about dark matter, that maybe mm. Mond, Mond is the way to go. Uh, so so it, 
Yeah, very intriguing. Sorry, is it possible, Fred, that what they've found is real, that Planet Nine could still be real, that dark matter could still be real? Could we be looking at different factors that exist under circumstances unique to themselves? So all of these things could exist or coexist. Right. Sorry, yes, I see what you mean. So that yeah. they could all be right. Um, yeah, under I guess different that's true. Under different circumstances. Yeah, um, maybe even under the same circumstances. Well, yeah. Uh, that, so, yeah, as the, look, you're, you're, you're quite right. And, um, I mean, people, I, I guess Mond is the, the, the main um, motivation of the people who study Mond uh, is to get rid of dark matter. Uh, mm-hmm. In other words, eliminate the need for dark matter because we've we've got something wrong with our understanding of gravity. That's what they're saying. Uh, or the way gravity interacts with objects. Um, but the trouble with Mond is, as far as I understand it, you can't get rid of it entirely because, sorry, you can't get rid of dark matter entirely because you've yeah. still got the effects of gravitational lensing, which really are I- independent of Mond, the, the, the Newtonian dynamics. That's very much a, an Einsteinian relativistic thing and behaves exactly as we would expect if dark matter is what is there, if the dark matter theory is correct. Mm. So, yeah, so it, it's very, it's really intriguing stuff, I think. And, and I, was, I thought this paper was quite remarkable that, um, you know, we've, we've got, uh, well, they've written a paper called Modified Newtonian Dynamics as an Alternative to the Planet Nine Hypothesis. Mm. That's pretty stri- striking stuff. Well, I, I suppose I, I can't help but ask you, Fred, where do you stand on the Mon theory? What Do you think it's potentially correct? I think it's very intriguing, uh, and I think there are results coming out that uh, sort of lean you towards thinking, well, there might be something this after all. But um, it, the, the issue is always... And this is what threw Mond out right at the beginning in the 80s when it was proposed. Uh, if you accept that for some of the phenomena that we that we blame dark matter for, like galaxies not flying apart because they're rotating too fast, uh, if that's due to Mond and not dark matter, then it throws other things out that we think we understand in terms of dark matter. And that's the problem. You've, you, you have to build something that is consistent across all scales um, and Mond doesn't seem to do that on the other hand we still haven't found any particles notwithstanding our talk about dark photons uh, the other day yeah we still haven't found any particles that um, that might actually be dark matter particles and the particle physicists are struggling to do that Mind Could you. we just have it all wrong completely and there's yeah. something else going on that we just have yeah. no comprehension of at the moment? Yeah, that's that's right. Well, that's always the case in astronomy. Um, you know, we might be looking well, you're at... You're always you. wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you always could be wrong because you can't go out there and poke things in the eye and find out what they're really like. Mm. Um, so I think astronomers generally tend to be pretty open-minded uh, about various hypotheses, but... Um, yes, it, it, it is the consensus of opinion that leads us to believe in in things like dark matter. Um, certainly, the bulk of opinion still would support that. But it, it's in many ways really interesting to see it being, in a sense, chipped away at by people who have a different worldview. The, the trouble is, the, the, 
it is possible, despite the open-mindedness of most astronomers, it is possible for people to get obsessed with that kind of thing uh, and try and bend everything to fit their worldview. I used to work for somebody like that who had an unconventional view of our galaxy uh, and spent a lot of time you know, tinkering around the edges of what we knew to try and make everything fit together. Yeah. So pretty hard to do. It is, yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, if you'd like to read that article about uh, the Mond theory and uh, the uh, hunt for Planet Nine, uh, it's on the Space Daily website. This is Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Roger, your lives are here also. Space Nuts. Time for some questions, Fred, and we're going to get straight into it. Our first one comes from, uh, well, he's a semi-regular. This is Mikey. Hey, Fred. Hey, Andrew. This is Mikey from uh, Illinois. I uh, got a question a couple episodes back. You guys were talking about magnetism of the sun. Obviously, there's magnetism there. While we get sunspots, yada, yada, there's magnetic fields around certain planets, and it got me thinking if gravity wasn't the major player in the universe would magnetism be the attractive force like our is there enough magnetism say that metallic objects like satellites and and certain rocks and asteroids would they be pulled in by the magnetism and the gravity just supersedes that and that's why we don't see that now um kind of an out there question that i had kind of stirring up in my head thanks guys appreciate everything you do have a good one Thank you, Mikey. Um, it's an intriguing thought. Uh, and we did talk recently about a big magnetic discovery, I think, didn't we, Fred? Um, somewhere beyond our uh, our galaxy or something. But uh, it's, That's right. It was the, uh, the biggest uh, gravitation, uh, magnetic field uh, or the earliest magnetic field that's been detected, the earliest mm. magnetic field. That's right. So basically saying, could magnetism do replace what we... Replace Yeah, replace gravity. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Thanks, no. Mikey. Hand it next. <laughs> but Mikey's, uh, I think Mikey's, you know, is it's, it's great thinking. Um, so, so gravitational, the gravitational force is uh, many billions of times weaker than the electromagnetic force, which does carry magnetism. Uh, so uh, that, it's an intriguing thought. Um, as to whether a universe without gravity would would do anything, you know, would form at all. And part of the problem here is that we we don't really understand the origin of magnetic fields. Mm. Um, that's I, I would have thought it would be a magnet, but anyway. <laughs> all right, okay, I'll rephrase it. We don't know where <laughs> magnets come from. <laughs> You yeah, might you might think you buy you know you get them in Kmart but uh, or um, you know, Walmart Walmart yeah that's right but, um, so we we don't really understand the origin of the of magnetism or magnetic fields or magnets in the in the universe and so uh, we know gravity was the you know was the was was always the um, the really strong motivating force for evolution within the universe. It's what pulls clouds of hydrogen together to, to make stars and make galaxies. Um, that would not happen with magnetism. Um, even if 
we understood how magnetism formed. Uh, it's uh, yeah, so, so, so it's kind of almost like a chicken and egg question. Uh, if you had a universe with no gravity, uh, would the electromagnetic force replace it, and we'd end up with an entirely different kind of universe from what we've got? Maybe without galaxies in it, and, but with something else. Um, that's so. It, Mike is right to propose a question like that. It's it's a fun thing to think about. Uh, I don't know the answer to it, but um, I think except no. I did say no, yeah, and, mm. I, and I think the answer is no. Um, I I, th I think what you'd form will be something so unlike our universe uh, that uh, it really wouldn't, you know, it just wouldn't bear any relationship to what we understand as reality. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, if there were inhabitants in such a universe talking about this sort of thing, they might say the same thing. So yeah, one comes up with a theory. Oh, you know, what if what if there was a thing called yeah. gravity? Yeah. Would, yeah. would that? You know, do the same thing as magnetism's doing here. Yeah, and they'd all fall about laughing. They just say, you know, <laughs> oh, no. well, maybe not because if they didn't have gravity, they might not fall. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, if they didn't have gravity, they wouldn't take anything seriously either. So that would be, uh, that would be pretty good. <laughs> oh dear, uh, too many dad jokes. Actually, you, you mentioned the chicken and the egg theory. Um, I heard one the other day, which some people might have, might know about. Uh, I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, pretty clever. So, Mikey, the answer is no, but. <laughs> yeah. We probably. get a lot of no, but answers to questions. We do. Oh, yes, in fact, we're mm. for that. But, yes, it's great, great question. And, um, you know, it. I think magnetism, until very recently, was the the sort of least understood of all the all the universe's attributes. I think we're chipping away at it. Uh, and just a, as a postscript, one of the main pillars of the science case for building the square kilometre array observatory was to understand the origin of magnetism. So um, there's a good chance that you know by this time in the next decade we might know a little bit more about that. Yeah, and be able to talk about it. It's so much fun to play with, you know, a magnet with iron filings and doing oh, yeah. all that stuff through your desk and uh, making making compasses out of needles, shove through corks, drop them in the water and I'll point north. Except, important safety tip, do not leave the needle stuck in the carpet pointing straight up and then lean on it like I did when I was a kid. <laughs> went straight through my hand. Oh, God. Yeah, and it was the eye end that went through. It wasn't ooh, the point. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah. Um didn't bleed. That was really weird. No. Anyway, uh, thank you, Mikey. Lovely to hear from you. Our next question is about nothing. It's from Seinfeld. Hello, Big Nuts. This is Ralph in Northern California again. Uh, cleaning out my garage today, and I am overwhelmed with the amount of stuff I have. And you know, it occurred to me, when we're talking about space and astronomy and all that, we're always talking about stuff. We're talking about substance. We're talking about tangible things but as Fred's mentioned in his book before about the vast bulk of our universe is nothing it's nothingness it's kind of like that Seinfeld episode it's all about nothing uh very stray molecules here and there I can we expand on that a little bit what, is there anything else about nothingness that really is like 42 the secret <laughs> of the universe other than dark energy, of course, and stuff like that. It, it just occurred to me that we always talk about something, but maybe we should talk about nothing. That's question one. 
Question two is, what does Dr. Watson think about the real or the realistic uh, option of living underground on Mars or the moon, you know, under the surface? Because obviously, as Andrew had pointed out, uh, that old uh, For All Mankind episode where there was a solar um, uh, a solar bombardment on on the moon, uh, things got really janky fast. Anyway, thanks, guys. Keep it up. Love the show. Bye. Thanks, Ralph. Love the word janky. Yeah, that's a right. very good description. Like um, let's that. start with nothing, and now we can move straight on to living under... <laughs> no, uh, nothingness. Nothingness theory. Should we be talking about nothing? Jerry yeah, well, Sonville made a career out of it. Exactly, and uh, so have we. <laughs> uh, um, so... Yes, the mantra for the origin of the universe. In the beginning, there was nothing, then it exploded. Mm. Uh, and so, and I think the, in that regard, the nothing that we think of is, is so nothingness, there's no time or space. It's just nothing. And I think that is the real, the ultimate nothing out of which the Big Bang came by some mechanism that we don't understand. That's the sort of standard relativistic picture of the origin of the universe, which might not necessarily tie in with people's idea of multiverses and things like that, so like Roger Penrose's exploding black holes and things of that sort. Uh, however, um, we do, you know, if, if you take out all the matter in the universe- It doesn't matter. Space, no, it doesn't matter, no. It matters, probably matters more to me than to you. No, <laughs> can't do anything with that. So, um, uh, Space itself has got funny properties. We know it bends, uh, which is how we see gravitational lensing by the bending of space. Yeah. Uh, we know that if you that it has elect an electromagnetic force. There's the thing called the Casimir effect that two two plates kind of feel a pull between them. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? If you've got nothing there. Um, and then there's dark energy, exactly as Ralph mentioned. Dark energy is something that comes out of nothing but has an energy and its energy is so much that for every cubic meter of empty space it's trying to push it apart uh, with a you know with a basically a force proportional to its volume so uh, that doesn't really get us any nearer to a definition of nothing I think I think the best definition of nothing is what there was before the Big Bang uh, so there's no time there's no space there's no matter there was no Walmart. Yeah. Uh, there was nothing. No speeding fines. Um, no space nuts. No, nothing. Nothing. So, yeah, we can't say there's nothing. And even uh, in past episodes where we've talked about uh, subatomic particles existing, even in the deepest, darkest vacuum of space, there's something per square meter. It's just not much. Yeah. So, well, that's certainly right. Um, it's it is. You know, you're talking about handfuls of atoms mm. uh, and um, subatomic particles. I, I mean, the whole universe is permeated by light as well. Uh, wherever you are in the universe, there's going to be light passing through it or electromagnetic yeah. radiation. So that's in there as well. You've got a bundle of photons, not many perhaps, but you've certainly got them. Mm. So, uh, Ralph, yeah, there's there's something. Um, in some places, very, very concentrated. In other places, very sparse. But there is just about something in every square meter of the universe, we think. Um, so, yes, talking about nothing would have been faster, but... <laughs> 
Well, it's probably probably uh, it's there's probably more to talk about than nothing. Yeah, I, I, th- I think um, Ralph's starting point about uh, cleaning out his garage that was. Yeah, I can't that, believe he did it. Why would you do that? Definitely something. Well, we had to do it ours recently because yeah, me too. Dug big, <laughs> dug big holes in it, and we've mm-hmm. got a new one. So. Yep. Anyway, thanks, Ralph. Uh, All right. Uh, and he wanted to know about living underground oh, on living Mars underground, yeah. and the moon, uh, which I think is ideal. And he referred to the, um, the the episode of For All Mankind, where they were all up on the surface of the moon playing hockey or something. And there was a, a, a massive bombardment from the sun and they were exposed to radiation. And they all had to get underground fast or in, in at least into some sort of protected environment. And that um, that sort of gleaned into future episodes and future series or future um, seasons of the show. Uh, yeah, living underground seems ideal. You just got to find the place to do it. Mm. Well, there there are um, lava tubes uh, both on yep. Mars and on the Moon, and I, I I agree with you actually. I think it makes a lot of sense to find something that's going to give you some protection from solar radiation and solar flares and things of that sort. Mm. So, yes, uh, it, and they could actually make them quite habitable uh, with the technology we've got. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you probably need to build something within the tube that is comfortable. Uh, but what you're aiming for is is the protection from that exposure yeah. Uh, yeah. in open space that you don't, uh, you don't get on Earth from the magnetic field. Quite so. So mm. you're replacing the magnetic field with solid rock. Yes. Yeah. Pretty good. Uh, all right, Ralph, uh, hopefully that covered that. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, living underground seems like the optimal idea. It's just probably a lot colder, <laughs> I, could, I would imagine. Uh, now, uh, finally, uh, a silly question from Martin because um, I, I can't remember what he wanted to talk about. Hello, Space Nuts. Martin Berman Gorvine of Potomac, Maryland, USA here. Writer extraordinaire in many genres with a silly question that I must ask because I checked with the Universe Splitter app and it said I should ask you a silly question rather than a serious one. So in this universe, my question is, elaborating on my recent scenario, let's say a trillionaire whom we'll call Egon Rust were to turn the planet Venus into a black hole and shoot it in the direction of Mars with the very stupid goal of turning Mars into a planet with the rough mass of Earth so that it could have an Earth-like atmosphere and become habitable. Could we avoid utter destruction here on Earth, assuming we were on the opposite side of the sun from these spawning games? Or would we be doomed anyway? Can't wait for the answer. Berman Gorvine, over and out, 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 and out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You're such a card, Martin. Uh, um, so what, what do you want to do? Drag a black hole yeah. to create no, a livable Venus? No, no. You've got, to, you've got to turn Venus into a black hole. So it's got to oh, slow, oh, right. collapse right. on itself. 
to form an Earth mass black hole, which, if I remember rightly, has got an event horizon that's 18 millimeters in diameter. I think that's okay. Right. And then you fling that at Mars um, uh, in the hope that the that Mars will accrete the black hole and somehow produce mass from nowhere. <laughs> Uh, or, or produce rock from nowhere to become mm -hmm. Earth-like, um, and and whether we could survive it by being on the opposite side of the solar system when all this happened. Well, even if we could, we'd end up back there anyway, wouldn't we? We would, yeah. And um, you know, we. I don't know how you. I, I think you know the first step one turning Venus into a black hole. That's quite tricky. Mm. Uh, I think that you probably would need to impart a lot of energy to do that more than we've got tied up in either Earth or Mars. Um, and I suppose the question that I would ask is, why would you bother, really? Uh <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the idea of the question came, as he said, from an app called Universe Splitter, which I've just found. It's the Quantum Decision Maker. Oh, Really? Yeah, it's got very high ratings as well. But um, uh, you, you uh, yeah, uh, in one universe, I will now take a chance. In the other universe, I will now play it safe. And you just make a choice. Uh -huh. And it could send you off in all sorts of weird directions. Don't know much about it, but um, yeah, uh, it when looks you, like fun. When you've checked but, it out, let me know. <laughs> uh, looks like Martin certainly uses that. Uh, but uh uh, yeah, I, I guess that one's probably way too far-fetched to really contemplate. Well, I think Martin was looking for a silly answer, which I haven't really given him yet. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, I know, 42. No, I think actually in this case it's not 42. I think the answer is Tuesday. <laughs> so, you know, or, it, or it, it could be lemonade. Look, it, it could be anything really. <laughs> yeah, or it could prompt more questions like... Um, uh, why is a duck? Yes, why is a duck? Um, and uh, isn't it so? Uh, by the way, we, I don't think we've ever um, discussed my theory of where Douglas Adams got 42 from. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and have you got time? Yeah, yeah, we have. Because it's right. a minute. Uh, 42 degrees is the radius of a rainbow. Oh, you so reckon that's where he circle. plucked it from? Bet it is, yeah. Bet it's the 42 degrees of the radius of yeah. the it's a, so it so um, when you look at a rainbow, you're seeing a circle of color which is centered on what we call the subsolar point uh, or the antisolar point. It's the point in the opposite direction uh, to the sun. Um, that's the center of the circle. The sun's directly behind you, and in a straight line between the sun, you, and this point, that's the center of the rainbow. Uh, mm -hmm. But the diameter of the primary bow is 42 degrees. Well, how about that? You may well be right. We will never know. Probably not. Probably know it. Okay. Uh, thank you, Martin. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Mikey. And keep those questions coming in because we've got an all questions episode next week, uh, episode 375. And we've got plenty of them, but uh, we don't want you to stop because we, we do run out rather quickly. So uh, keep the questions coming. You can do that on our website, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io and send uh, a text question via the AMA app or an audio question, as long as you've got a device with a microphone. And on the right-hand side of our website, it's got a little doohickey that um, you can press that says, send us your question. 
and uh, you can record it there. Quite simple. Don't forget to tell us who you are and where you're from. We just love to know. And while you're fishing around on our website, um, let us know if you find any problems. No, I, I'd rather you go to the shop, actually. We don't care about problems. Um, can't solve any anyway. So, uh, yes, um, there's a Space Nuts shop and all sorts of other stuff. You can get the latest uh, Astronomy Daily news and uh, plenty more. So um, jump on our website for uh, more information and to upload your questions. Fred, we are done and dusted for another week. Thank you so much. Uh, you're very welcome, Andrew. Hello, uh, Big Nuts. This is Rob. Oops, sorry, wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong button. <laughs> Try that again. Yes, you're you're very welcome, Big Nut, uh, Andrew. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I've I've completely botched this up, so I'm going to have to. Okay, I've stopped him now. <laughs> Thanks, Ralph. Can't keep him out of it. Can't. Mm. That's so right. thank you, Fred. It's a pleasure as always. <laughs> it's, it's also a pleasure uh, to sit here wondering what's going to happen next. <laughs> you never know with me. Know. Yeah, Like I said, the microphone's in a very awkward position and I can't really see what I'm doing and that's probably why that happened. Be it. Yeah. Mm, it just sort of washes away the facade of professionalism, really. Um, thank you, Fred. I'll see you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Andrew. Take care. <laughs> Fred Watson, astronomer at large, part of the team here at Space Nuts and uh, Hugh in the studio. I just turned up. Um, sorry, Hugh, we just finished. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks for your company. Catch you on the very next episode of Space Nuts. Bye-bye. Space Nuts. You'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.